0: If you like having Bible study in your pocket, and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia.
1: Let's get social. Connect with me at Bible Study Evangelista on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and now you can also find me on the number one Catholic app for iPhone and Android, Laudate. Let's connect. And now, let's get some Bible study in your pocket. Study evangelista show, and I'm Sonia Corbett, your Bible study evangelista, getting back in the swing of things with our study on Saint Joseph, priest, prophet, and king of the Holy Family and Prince of the Church. And if you have watched the catholicmom.com video that I did Wednesday of last week, posted here on the show page, then you know kind of the direction that we're going in. But since I have you for quite a, a bit longer well, somewhat longer, about about 20 minutes, I'm going to go into far more depth. So what I'd like to cover today is Old Testament Joseph, and if I am able to, I'd like to also cover the uh, Joseph the Just as priest. So we'll look at the Old Testament Joseph and then also Joseph St. Joseph as priest of the Holy Family. Now, I mentioned in the video that... St. Joseph, he just walked really large in my life back in March. So I won't go into that. But I would like to give you a little more detail on what St. Joseph actually showed me. I told you the story about my husband. And I'll be honest that when that first happened back in, I don't know, it's been 15 years now. uh, When I came into the church, it was back then it was just a couple months after I had come in. So I won't go into that. But when that happened, I just, I thought it was neat. I thought it was interesting. I felt like it was the Holy Spirit intervening for me. And of course he was. But now I know that that was St. Joseph personally intervening for me through my husband. And I just, I got so much more from him when when he showed me, I asked him, I said, what is it that you want me to know about you? It's it's very clear, and that story's in the video, but it, it was very clear to me that he was trying to get my attention. And so once he had it, I just asked him, what is it that you want me to know? And I have to be honest, I just face planted. And every time I think about it again, I face plant again. <laughs> and I, I think it's probably has to do quite a bit with my father wound, because Joseph has shown shown himself... As my father, I, my uh, that the daddy, as I mentioned in the video, that I had given up ever having, and to me, that brings connotations of it of this. Uh, I don't know how do I put it how do how do daddies look at their daughters? They find pleasure in them. They find pleasure in watching them be who they are. And that's the sense that I got from St. Joseph very very strongly in the very beginning when he revealed to me that he had intervened for me with my husband and but also for my husband because my poor husband needed that. We were we were just experiencing so much tension and and St. Joseph just he really did sort of bring peace. He brought some peace to my husband. He brought peace to me for sure, because I knew that the Holy Spirit was sort of, he was defending me in a way because I had come into the church. And and as other people had said, I'd split my family. But one of the things that St. Joseph showed me and it wasn't a vision or anything like that and I didn't hear Joseph speak not audibly but I had like this flash of knowing and I this flash in this flash I saw Saint Joseph watching me as a little girl when I was very young and my dad would put us on restriction put me on restriction for sometimes months at a time and when that occurred in our home it meant that my dad would take everything out of our rooms that had anything to do with entertainment whatsoever. So all my toys, all my dolls, all the stuffed animals, any pets. I usually always had a hamster, a fish, you know, something like that. He would take all my pets. The radio, everything was taken out of my room except for my dresser with my clothes in it and my bed. And so all I was allowed to do was sit on my bed and read Or do workbooks of some sort, usually school books in subjects that I didn't have an A in or something like that. So he would use it as enrichment time, which I hated those things because they were always so daggum hard. Um, Anyway, St. Joseph just gave me this flash of him watching me sitting on my bed reading. And I had a bunch of... I had a bunch of books because my mom would take me to the library every week and, and I would get as many books as they would allow me to check out. I would get all of those and I'd bring them home and then I'd read them. And as soon as I got done reading them, she would take me back. So I was constantly turning over books. But I also had this supply of Bible story books that my mother had bought me and that I would, when I got done with my stack of books in between the time that I finished them and could get back to the library, I would go back to this stack of books that I had. And there were a whole bunch of Bible story books. My mom, she bought me classics, illustrated classics, but also I had a whole bunch of Bibles, like Bible story books. And one of them in particular is the one that I saw in in my mind, in my heart, in this flash, where St. Joseph was watching me read these stories. And it was this, well, it's just a particular book. It was really actually very big, but it had like newspaper. It was newspaper paper. And so the the ink would kind of rub off. And the pages were different colors. There were There were white pages and then pink and then yellow and then green. So there were sections that had different colored pages. And I just remember, I see, I saw in my heart myself on the bed reading these Bible stories about Joseph and how pleased St. Joseph was in watching me read those. And I can't even, I, I can barely speak about it. I mean, I can't tell you how tender that feeling was and overwhelming for it. And just how, how he knew the loneliness and, um, and fear and all of that that I lived in, and yet he was present there, and he was so delighted in watching me read these stories about him. <laughs> I mean, isn't it weird, right? So that was part of it. And then, and then f- jump forward, um, then I understood that it was him who had intervened for me with my husband. I'm sorry, um, it was St. Joseph, Joseph who facilitated my healing through my husband because it's it's been the um, the friction in personality differences between my husband and I that has brought about the most healing in my whole life. It's been my relationship with my husband. And St. Joseph showed me that my husband is very, very like him that St. Joseph himself has personality traits that are very, very like my husband. And that's why he said to him, you are Joseph, because my husband is very like the actual St. Joseph. And so as my husband was, was healing me, just by being who he is, and my resistance against that, and of course, you know, that that goes both ways, too. I've helped heal my husband as well. But but I just got this very overwhelming sense that that it was Joseph himself working through my husband for my healing. And he, he was personally involved and personally responsible and personally um, encouraging me and lifting me up and providing me graces and all this stuff, you know. And then, <laughs> there's more, and then I got this... Very clear knowing, I've I've always had this thing with God. When God called me to do what I'm doing, I was still Baptist. And I really, I had only been married about five years. I hadn't even had, I think I my youngest son was maybe one or two. And God called me and, and it began this thing between us that I have always called dream big. Because the Lord would he would remind me to dream big in those instances where i would get discouraged over things not happening or they weren't happening fast enough or they didn't happen the way i thought they should or even at all i mean it took it took a decade and a half for this promise to actually come to fruition and during that time he was forming me to be capable of receiving that promise when it finally came but over and over and over again, he would encourage me with that dream big thing in a, in much the same way that he did with Abraham in the Old Testament, where Abraham would he would get frustrated or he would get discouraged and God would come back to him and re um, reinstate the covenant or reaffirm the covenant that he had made with Abraham, this promise. And so what I saw is that Joseph was also behind the dream big because Joseph himself was a dreamer. And that he was the one who was behind all of that and and remains the one behind all of that as the dreamer. And, oh, my goodness. And the fact that, you know, Joseph is so just, he—and and that's the great strength of my husband is his sense of justice. Joseph the silent, and my husband can be—I mean, he's funny, but he doesn't say much in the important things unless unless he— must and so I saw Joseph really as as my own husband and and providing for me and protecting me and healing me and all the things that a good husband should do that Joseph was behind all that in my actual husband and then because of that protection and because of that um, delight and all of those things that Joseph also occupied the role of father for me it's just overwhelming I'll finish that story when we get back You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show Bible Study spares That Tastes Like Cake
0: Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you Based on Mary's personal practice And formulated for your personality and temperament Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning By signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com Now, here's Sonia
1: for that break because I was able to blow my nose so I'm not sniffing through the rest of the show and kind of gather myself so I won't ball through the rest of it. But one of the other things that he showed me is that as the pillar of families, he is the one who facilitated my husband coming into the church. And of course, that came in part through the fact that he was told, you are Joseph. But also... I prayed specifically to St. Joseph about my husband coming into the Catholic Church, and at that time, somewhere around that time, it was I think probably a couple years later, but at some point throughout that prayer, I asked my husband if he would film the RCIA classes that I was teaching because at that time, that was the fulfilled study that I I still teach in RCIA every single year, but it was it hadn't been published yet, and so I went to my husband and I said, "Honey, I I'm just curious. I'd love to get this study published, and you know, would you would you video these classes for me?" And of course, he knew what I was asking, and I knew that he knew, um, but that was a way for him to get the information without having to read it himself, and. And at that point, I just sensed that he might be ready. And we hadn't been able to talk about anything Catholic. But at this point, he had seen a few other people that we knew and were friends with come into the church. So he agreed to do that. And he was in the next year. And so fulfilled, then I dedicated to St. Joseph ex voto because it was in thanksgiving for him bringing my husband into the Catholic church. So as a pillar, as the pillar of families, he facilitated that, right? Directly because I prayed for that. But then, also, um directly for my husband, I mean, can you see how overwhelming this is? and so then we see for my own um my own full communion with the church, which uh I wonder if I can actually say this now, but you'll see as we go through looking at Old Testament Joseph, that Old Testament Joseph was the gatherer and storer and the distributor of the wheat in Egypt at that time because there was a famine. And so St. Joseph is, in a similar way, the distributor of the wheat of the Eucharist. And he did so, actually, as the foster father of Christ in nurturing his development, his physical human development, but then also his spiritual development. In nurturing that, he was preparing that Eucharist for us. In a, in a way, right? And so as I was coming into the church, the doctrines and the teachings on the Eucharist were the very first issue. I call it a domino. It was the first domino to fall for me because as soon as I looked in John chapter six and I compared that to what I knew in the Old Testament about the manna and Melchizedek and the bread of the presence and all of those Old Testament types of manna in the or uh, bread in the Old Testament I could see very clearly that what the church taught there in John 6 it that's the only thing it can really mean I just had never been exposed to that teaching before so I'd never seen it and Joseph then was the facilitator of that as well so as you can see and there's there's actually even more that I don't have time to get into and some of it is so personal I can't share it um, because I'm still kind of watching it unfold and I don't want to um I don't want to get in the way, so. uh, but that's plenty. Can you see then how how large Joseph walked in my life? I mean, he just really revealed himself, and I feel so close to him. It's interesting to me. I've been reflecting on this, and I'm sure it's because of my father wound. I feel so close to him in a way that I didn't even feel when Mary sort of revealed herself to me, and I believe that she wanted me to get to know him. I believe that she is part of why I came to that because it was a, a kind of a similar, it was actually a very similar process that I sort of will say found St. Joseph that, that I found quote Mary. Um, but in any case, that's enough about me. <laughs> but I know that you were wanting to know what was going on. And it, it's it's so involved and so personal, it's very hard to speak about. Um, like I said, I face plan every time I think about it. But we got into, in the video, I'm not going to try to go over all that old ground. Rather than do that, um, I covered the fact that Old Testament Joseph was Jacob's son. I talked about his position, um, the the meaning of his name, his rank uh, in the family. The birthright, I didn't go into a whole lot, but I need to mention this because it's really important. The birthright in the Old Testament family always went to the oldest son. And that's why you have that that uh, conflict between Jacob and Esau. This is Joseph's father, Jacob, and his twin, Esau. Jacob was like a minute younger than his brother. So he wasn't supposed to have the birthright. But he actually, he manipulated it away from his brother, who was complicit in that for a couple of reasons. So it was actually Esau who sold it to his brother Jacob. But Jacob also sort of capitalized on the situation both by um well you'd have to go back and read that story and we don't have time for that. But but it's interesting that Jacob himself usurped that role as heir from his brother and here Joseph he in a sense or God would do it in both cases actually, but God would would elevate Joseph over his brothers in a similar way that had been done actually with Jacob himself. And and I think the principle there for us is that God can choose whoever he wants, and he's not confined to any sort of plan or any sort of cultural norm, however good they might be. He chooses who he chooses, and that's pretty much it. But Joseph was, he dreamed a double dream. And in that time, ancients believed that dreams were watching while you're asleep. And that's why you get that meaning of St. Joseph uh, as he's praying and he's watching even as he sleeps. It's because of that, the ancient understanding of what dreaming meant. And in both Joseph and Jacob's situations, their dreams were prophetic. God would speak to people in the Old Testament through dreams. Now, most of our dreams are not prophetic. They are more subconscious. They tell you the truth about yourself, but they're not really prophetic. Um, So this double dream then, it showed Joseph this position of authority that he would have and of course he was a teenager he was like 16 or 17 when he had these two dreams and of course he was so excited he tells his whole family he's so excited he tells his family you know and and the and everybody's scandalized by it partly because of his youth but also because he was the youngest at the time almost the youngest and so his watching during sleep then was a sign of God's particular favor in itself just the dreaming part was a sign of god's favor so he had the dreams and then the content of the dreams was even more scandalous to the family including jacob because it placed joseph even over his father which just was not done right and so here's imagine the the youth of joseph, joseph and he's so excited he tells his whole family yak 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 and they're just would you please stop lording yourself over us and so they were They were really irritated by all of that. Now, the whole story actually begins in chapter 37 of Genesis, which I'd like to go to there. I hope you have your Bible. I hope you have the note-taking Bible. I have actually begun using this like I haven't before, part, partly because um, I have gone back to school. And so I'm in class, and I'm using this note-taking Bible. I, I love it, actually. <clears throat> I prefer my study Bible because it has all of my notes and stuff, but now I'm actually using this new one and I'm I'm taking notes in it. So anyway, I hope you have your Bible. Turn to chapter 37 of Genesis. So we see here, first of all, that Joseph was 17 at this time and he brought an ill report of his brothers to their father. And he was a young lad, it says. And and Jacob, who was called Israel here in verse 3, loved Joseph more than any of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a robe with sleeves or a coat of many colors, as I said in the video. Um, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the rest, they hated him. And they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Some of you guys have family members like that that won't even speak to you decently. And perhaps you're one of those people in your family that will not speak peaceably to a sibling or another family member. And it says in verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. And so he tells him, hear this dream that I have dreamed. And he tells what the dream is. We were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said, are you indeed going to reign over us, or have you, are you to have dominion over us? And so they hated him all the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told that to his brothers as well. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And they were jealous. His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept these sayings in his mind. So it's similar to the way Mary pondered right he kept he kept this in his mind now, the brothers you can see they're jealous and they hate joseph, and so in the next section, they sell him to a caravan um and that's the way they did merc, uh mercantilism or trading. They traded goods uh, goods on caravans. It was actually called the King's Road. There were a bunch of them, but it was one particular route that went all the way up into the northern part of the Holy Land and then back down south to Egypt. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show, Bible Study That Tastes Like Cake.
0: Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia.
1: Sent by Jacob to go check on his brothers who were pasturing their father's flock, it says in verse twelve. And so he sends Joseph to them. And it says in verse eighteen or nineteen, they said to one another, "They see him coming," and they said to one another, "Here comes this dreamer. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we'll see what comes of his dreams." And so they plan to actually murder him. I mean, can you can you imagine what this must have been like? So there were ten of them. And all 10 of them went along with this. I just can't imagine what kind of people these were, but definitely this was not a functional family. And so they stripped his cloak off of him and they threw him in a pit. And it says the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So it was probably an empty well. And it says they sit down to eat lunch. So they're going to kill him. They strip off this robe that his father has made for him because they're jealous and they're going to kill him. And they sit down and they have lunch. And here comes the caravan up the King's Highway or down the King's Highway, whichever one. And it's interesting that it says the camels were were bearing gum, balm, and myrrh. So gum would cover lots of different things, and so would balm. It would essentially be essential oils. Gums and balms would be essential oils and, and possibly herbs, things like that. But this is a specific mention of myrrh, and this is very interesting because myrrh, Is symbolic of suffering in the scriptures. If you have read Exalted, you know that uh, Mary's name, the root of Mary's name, actually comes from the word myrrh, and it indicates very deep suffering. So the brothers then decide, instead of killing him, they're going to make some money. So they sell him to the traders, and. When the older brother, Reuben, came back to the pit, he saw what Joseph wasn't in there and he freaks out and he goes, where is he? And and they had taken Joseph's uh, cloak and they're going to lie to their father. They told Reuben what happened and they're going to lie to their father so that their father thinks he's dead. So it says in verse 31 of chapter 37 of Genesis, they took Joseph's robe and killed a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the long robe with sleeves and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. And he recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And so he, he dons sackcloth and ashes and he mourns his son, Joseph. And then we have in chapter 38, as I mentioned in the video, we have this sort of parenthesis about Judah and Tamar, which we're going to completely skip over because the story picks up in chapter 39. Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and having him, he had no concern for anything but the food which he ate. And so because of God's favor on Joseph, Potiphar's house prospered. And it's so interesting that here God has given Joseph these two dreams. The second confirms the truth of the first. And then the very next thing that happens is not that he's elevated, but he's, he's plunged into the, the pit of despair, <laughs> to quote um, the princess bride. He's thrown into the pit of despair, and he's sold. And now he is a slave in this Egyptian guy's house. And then we have this interesting interlude with Potiphar's wife. Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes at Joseph and said, lie with me, but he refused. So he wouldn't lay with her, and instead, he turns to run, and she pulls his cloak off. And then she accuses him of attempting to rape her. And, of course, That's so typical, isn't it? It's almost like she was troubled as soon as she walked in the room, right? So it says in verse 20, And Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But look what it says in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So here's a principle. Everywhere Joseph is invited, he just takes over in a way that you have no care for it. You don't even have to worry about it. Joseph will oversee it. Joseph will manage it. Joseph will increase it. Joseph will bless it, because God is with Joseph. Is that not interesting when we're talking about Saint Joseph? Then we have the account of the dreams of two prisoners. So before, when Joseph was 17, he had a double dream. The second dream confirmed confirmed the first. And here we have two separate dreamers. And they each have a dream of their own, the baker and the butler. In the video, I called him the cup bearer, but he he was the butler and he did bear the cup. But anyway, they each have a dream. They're all in prison together. And each of the butler and the baker have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dreams for them He says that the baker will be hanged, but the butler would be released back into the court of Pharaoh, and Joseph told him that when he was released, he asked him to remember him, and the butler completely forgot him. Chapter 40, verse 12, Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and do me the kindness I beg you to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon and so when the uh, butler is released it says in verse 23 yet the chief butler did not remember joseph but forgot him i'll be honest i kind of feel like that applies to me a little bit because this whole time i had no idea that that saint joseph was doing all of this intercession and intervening and and all of these wonderful things on my behalf and for me and i i had just completely forgotten him I had never known him. So um, I kind of feel like this butler. And chapter 41 begins like this. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, sleek and fat. So he goes on. It tells us what the dream is. And he actually fell asleep, it says in verse five. And he dreamed a second time. So this is the third set of double dreams. Joseph has dreamed twice. There are two dreams in the dungeon, and now Pharaoh has had a double dream. Remember that the second dream confirms the first. So in the morning, in verse 8, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there were none who could interpret it. And then the chief butler said to Pharaoh, "I remember my fault today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I, each having a dream with its own meaning. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came to pass. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Now." This is important because not only is Joseph a dreamer, but he is an interpreter of dreams. He is the one who he explains what the dreams mean. So that clearly applies to me. This is the first time I've actually even seen this. This clearly applies to me because St. Joseph was the one who was interpreting my dream big. And then he is also the one who um, facilitates the the coming to pass of that dream big. I just am blown away by that because I just got it right now. So I am going to have to hurry through because I only have one more segment and I have quite a bit more to to get through. So basically, Joseph tells Pharaoh that the seven good cows are seven good years and the seven good ears are seven good years. That dream is one. And then there are seven lean and gaunt cows that came up after them are another seven years. So there are seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And so uh, Joseph tells Pharaoh, you need to plan You need to plan for um, this famine that's coming. He says something very important. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. That's another verse there that kind of always jumped out at me because of the dream big thing. But also this these three sets of double dreams. Right. And so he tells Pharaoh, let Pharaoh proceed Uh, To select a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt and to appoint overseers over the land and take the fifth part of the produce during the seven plenty years and let them gather all of the food that is coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine which are going to befall Egypt and then Pharaoh he says that it seems good right and he says can we find such a man as this in whom is the spirit of God Since God has shown you all this, there's none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over all my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and made him ride in the second chariot. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man shall lift up hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And lots and lots of other wonderful things happen. But it says in verse uh, 46 that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Joseph has risen to prominence. He goes from prophecy to the pit, to Potiphar's, to prison and to prominence in chapters 37 through 41. Isn't that amazing? I love this story about Joseph, and I actually clung to it quite a bit um, throughout my own formation. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, of course, seven years have passed, right? Um, or actually 14, because the seven years of plenty, and then the seven years of famine. Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, and he said to his sons, Why are you looking at each other? Go down to Egypt. So Joseph's brothers, ten of them, went down to buy grain in Egypt. And so they did not recognize Joseph, who now, he has a different language, he looks different, and Joseph speaks roughly to them, it says in verse 7. And he starts to really grill them. He wants to know if they are repentant over what they did to him and he sort of he he veils these uh kind of intentional questions that are meant to sort of pull out information about his his family and his father and and whether his father's well or is is he even alive and then of course his um his younger brother and then it says that they were there for three days. He put them in prison because he wants to see the youngest brother, um, Benjamin, but he's, he doesn't actually just want to see him. He wants to see if the brothers will give his their other brother up, and the youngest, again, just like they did with Joseph. He's testing them to see what they're going to do. He throws them in jail to make the decision, and then they talk among themselves, and they go, this is our fault because we're guilty of the, um, the... the blood of our brother or, you know, the life of our brother. And Joseph knew everything that they were saying because he understood them in their native language. Um, But they didn't know that he did. (laughs) And so the whole time when he realizes that they, Reuben says in verse 22 of chapter 42, did I not tell you not to sin against the lad, but you would not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they didn't know that Joseph understood him because there was an interpreter, but he turned away from them and he wept. And then he came back and he he said to them that they have to fill their gra- bags with grain. And then he gave them their money back and sent them away with the grain and the money. And so it looked like they were stealing from Pharaoh's um, stockpile. And then they head home and they... they- are about, I don't know, a little ways down the road. And they they look in the mouth of the sack and they see the money. And then they freak out. They say, oh my gosh, um, at this their hearts failed them. And they turn to trembling at, at one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? And they go back to Jacob in Canaan and they told him everything and that he wanted to see Benjamin. And then Jacob just, he freaks out. He says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come upon me. And Reuben wants to take the place of Benjamin. It's, you have to just read the whole thing, but eventually they do take Benjamin to Egypt and because they need food again, right? So they have to go back. Jacob just prays that God is with Benjamin and that nothing will happen and Joseph saw Benjamin with them, and he asks them to dine with him, and he, he gets to see his brother for the first time. And he actually almost loses himself. Verse 29, Joseph lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. So his actual uh, fully bu- blood brother and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph made haste for his heart, yearned for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And then he says he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, let him eat. And they ate a meal together, although at separate tables, because the Egyptians wouldn't eat with the Hebrews because it's an abomination, it says in verse 32, but it, it says they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. They couldn't they didn't know how they knew who was the oldest and who was the youngest, but they were seated according to their age. And they were shocked by that. The brothers were. Joseph made sure that Benjamin had five times the portions that any of the other brothers had. Isn't that interesting? So then as one last test and possibly even maybe just a hint of revenge, possibly, (laughs) he sends them on their way with their grain and he hides his silver cup in one in Benjamin's bag. And then he stops them and says, um, once they've been overtaken, he says, why have you returned evil for good? Why have you stolen my silver cup? And they are... I mean, their hearts completely fail them. They are freaking out because it's Benjamin and Joseph threatens to take Benjamin as a slave. And they, they are worried for their father because Benjamin won't come back. And he knows that their father, they know that their father has lost Joseph. And now he's about to lose Benjamin after being afraid of this very thing happening. And they are scared to death. And then Joseph, it says in chapter 45, he could not control himself before them any longer. And he says, make everyone go out from me. And so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Oh, my goodness. So Joseph then is an emotional man. He's not afraid to cry. And in this particular situation, he's so excited to see that his brothers have truly repented that he barely knows how to contain himself. And then we come to chapter 46, where Jacob brings his whole family to Egypt. They go home. And they tell their father up in chapter 45, verse 26, they told him Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob revived. And Israel said, Israel is Jacob. It's Jacob's new name that God gave him. He says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so everyone goes to Egypt, the whole family. And that is how the people of God ended up in Egypt because they, they started there. And then that's the whole of the 12 tribes, right? So all of Jacob's sons, the whole family goes to live in Egypt because uh, Joseph is the ruler over all of Egypt under Pharaoh, because God has put him in that position, right? And so now all of the tribes are there and they stay there. They remain in Egypt until like 400 years later there. It says at the end that there came a... um, there came a time when there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, And at that point, then they become persecuted. But before that, he settles his family in at the um, like verse seven ish around in chapter 47. He talks about how Pharaoh or the, the text talks about how Pharaoh tells Joseph to settle his family in the best of the land. So Joseph does that and they all live there. And then there was no food because the famine was so severe. And so Joseph gathered up all the money in Egypt because the people would come and they would basically give Joseph all their money in exchange for food because there was nothing to eat. And when all the money ran out, then the people came to him and said, Look, all we've got is cattle here. And so he would take all the cattle and he would he would gather it for the Pharaoh. And then they ran out of cattle. So then they had to sell him their land. And so all of the land then became the purview of Egypt, and even at that point, Joseph then would send the people back out to the land to farm it and then collect a tithe for Pharaoh. So, my point is that you can see how Joseph then increased the uh, holdings of Pharaoh by his administration, and by his, and, and that's what his name means, as I mentioned in the video, it means to increase, and it's a kind of an accounting term. But Joseph had this gift for administration in a way that multiplied everything, partly because God's blessing was on him, but also because he had that gift. And so all of the people lived there. One other thing, Joseph's two sons, um, he has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and their names are very interesting. His firstborn was named Manasseh, and it means making me forgetful. And it says, for God has made me forget all of my toil and my father's house and the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So his two sons, he named um, making me forgetful and fruitful in the land of my, isn't that interesting? So, wow, there's so much and I have to stop at this point. Um, But the very last thing I want to point out is the blessing that Jacob gives to Joseph. And all of the sons, really. But there's a beautiful blessing. I don't have time to read it, but it's in chapter 49. Joseph, um, in verses 22 through 26 It's the blessing of Jacob on Joseph, and it says that they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. And so uh, Jacob blesses Joseph and Joseph's sons, um, and he includes them actually in the the blessing before he dies. There's so much still that I could say, and I don't have the time, but next week we'll cover Joseph the Just, St. Joseph the Just, as priest of the Holy Family. I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible's...